she's pouring from the sky. Stash some chips up. No fear of missing out. I'm about to dip and flip. What? Now pump it up and double up is what we hit. What? 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 This is it. What? Satoshi's pouring from the sky. Stash some chips up. No fear of missing out. I'm about to dip and flip. What? Welcome to 21ism.com, sound culture renaissance. We curate, craft, and amplify Bitcoin-inspired creativity. Featuring in the code block this month is Craig Raw, the creator and sole contributor to Sparrow. Sparrow can be used for single and multi-sig wallets for those of you who really value financial self-sovereignty. Sparrow's emphasis is on security, privacy, and usability. Diving into Craig Raw's work and his general story is Max Bit by Bit. And uh, don't miss the article from MTC on the feature page itself. Enjoy. Hey, Craig, how you doing? Hey there, Max. Thank you for joining me so promptly. I was having some internet issues before you joined, so I'm just praying that uh, I'm coming through okay on your end. It all sounds fine here. Um, hopefully sounds good from my end as well. Yeah, it all sounds good. Well, yeah, thank you for joining me. We are very, very pleased at 21ism to have you featured for Code Block 9. Really, really cool stuff that you're doing. And like I said to you off air, this is just a chance to find out you know, why you've done what you've done, why you've created this and what all of this means to you, why, uh, why you Bitcoin. So I'm really looking forward to diving in with you. I've just opened myself a beer. Are you joining me for a drink or what are you having? Um, I've actually haven't got anything in front front of me right now, just a glass of what, what water. So um, maybe uh, a little bit later on. <laughs> Very well behaved. And you're joining me from South Africa, right? I am, yes, from Cape Town. Oh, very nice. I went a few years ago, actually. I absolutely loved it. And uh, I think I'll be there for a couple of weeks, did the whole safari thing and went around Cape Town a little bit as well. Such a cool place, like so vibrant. They had so many cool little restaurants and different places. And yeah, I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it's a great spot to live, I must say. Um, Got many advantages. Hard to leave, actually. (laughs) Have you been there all your life? No, actually, I grew up in, a, in a, a, a town on the eastern coast of South Africa called Durban. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I've been here in Cape Town for the last 20 years or so, so um, pretty much feel at home here now. Yeah, it's got everything, South Africa. It blew my mind when I went there. Like, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm from England. We've got some nice sort of scenery and you've got some nice countryside. And then you go over there and it's just so vast and just so beautiful. And you've got the mountain regions and the wine regions and, and all of it. And then the beaches and penguins on the beach and just all this crazy stuff. It just, yeah, it was mind-blowing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I certainly enjoy the mountains and the sea every day. So um, it's uh, it's a great spot. Um, where in the UK are you? Uh, so near London. I don't want to dox myself too much, but but not sure, far from sure. London. Great. Have you been before? Or yes, I've been a few times. It's been a few years years now, but um, certainly probably been to the UK more than anywhere else, I guess. 
um, mm-hmm. you know, many South, South, South Africans, as I'm sure, you know, tend to make the journey over, never lived there though, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, have certainly spent a fair, a fair bit, bit, a bit, a bit of time, particularly around the same area that you are in. Nice. I'm trying to think where to start really here. We've not spoken before. I followed your project very closely, but it'd be cool to hear sort of what led you down this path and why you started being interested in Bitcoin and and past that, why you've actually decided to give back and create this software and create something that is getting so much respect from so many Bitcoiners. Um, I was just literally got off the phone to Bitcoin Q&A and he was raving, just saying, oh my God, just just tell him that this is just incredible. Just tell him how much I love it. I know Economic Alchemist is a huge fan as well. So was it just something that you'd been Bitcoining for a while and then just thought, I want to do something? or, Or is this something that is already a career well you know um i first heard about bitcoin i'm not quite sure when but it was around 2012 and i was just immediately fascinated by it um you know i've always kind of had this love for everything cryptographic but i've always considered myself to be very much uneducated in that 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 field so it's always been the sort of dream to kind of get more into it and um you know, that was one of the things that drew it to me. And I just, you know, thought, thought to myself, well, this, this just looks amazing. And, uh, you know, it sounds too good to be true. So, you know, rather than just dismiss it, I decided to try and, you know, prove why it would fail, you know, try and figure out what's, what's the reason that's going to cause this thing to fail. And I literally spent the next, you know, six or seven years just, just sitting on our Bitcoin, you know, every day. Um, there wasn't this, you know, these days there's so much great information for bit- Bitcoiners to kind of learn and, and understand. But back in the day, there really wasn't a huge amount of great information. Um, uh, and it certainly wasn't very clear how you would get good information versus bad information. So anyway, I just spent a huge amount of time, you know, just trying to read everything I could and trying to figure out, you know, why would it might fail. And in the end, I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. I could not figure out the reason. I just answered every question that I could think of over many years. And eventually I decided, well, you know, there's no good reason why this thing should fail. Therefore it must succeed. Um, Mm. no, I could always be wrong, but, um, that's still what I feel today. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what led me to, you know, just wanting to be more involved, you know, just having spent so much time on it. And, um, you know, eventually it just came to a point in my life where I could, you know, spend more time working on it. And uh, I was trying at the time to set up a multi-sig wallet, multi-vendor, multi-sig wallet. So I was using Electrum to do it. Um, and it was just really hard. It was just, you know, I was having to write little bits of code to do it. And it, it just, it, you know, I could manage it in the end. But I thought to myself, you know, this is something that other Bitcoiners will need. So that's really where the journey with Sparrow began. And I just began building this, this tool. And I was largely inspired by these modern programming IDEs that we get to sort of use, which are, which are really just amazing tools. Hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, that was kind of where it, it sort of began. And I, I just really wanted to create, you know, when you have to interact with Bitcoin, 
it's it can be dumbed down, but ultimately, you know, it's a fairly complex thing. It's not easy to be private. Um, it's not not easy to transact in a way that um, maximizes your sort of efficiency with fees. And you know, Sparrow was just really there as a tool to be able to really, you know, save with Bitcoin and do so in a way that that allowed you to really understand the protocol and the details of what was going on. So that was that was kind of the genesis of it and, and thinking, you know, how can I create a tool that is that is just going to be super easy to use, but at the same time, really give Bitcoiners the detail that I think that they need in order to to get into it and to really do the job well. And was this something you already had a background in, software development, or was it just because you'd spent so much time sort of trying to break and work out how to break Bitcoin that you picked things up along the way? No, I've pretty much been in um, the software development industry my whole career. Um, in fact, my whole life. Um, so, you know, I've you know done various things. I began actually in a digital marketing world um, back in the days when really nobody was buying anything on the internet and just spent many years kind of believing that the internet was going to change the world, even though everyone we tried to sell things to just told us we were mad, you know. Um, but eventually, obviously, that paid off and, and we created a great agency um, and that we managed to sell. And then I sort of moved on to a different business, which was and still is, in fact, really about trying to understand social media um, and, you know, using sort of micro tasking with crowds, which we actually pay in Bitcoin um, mm -hmm. and just kind of getting into that that world. And gradually, I sort of um, did what I wanted to in that space and eventually managed to sort of migrate myself out of there into what is really, I think, the first field that I, I just fully love. I just love being in it every day. It's, it's, um, it's very much a passionate thing for me to, and I think an honor to be able to work in the space. It's very different, social media and marketing and then coming to Bitcoin and privacy and, and all of this stuff. It's uh, pretty polar. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Although, you know, if you really look at, you know, what's driving a lot of the um, the kind of interest around Bitcoin, you know, Twitter is a huge part of that. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you, like everyone else, just loves plugging into their feed every day and you just, you know, mm -hmm. you get all this interesting information. You know, I'm sure not everyone does it that way, but certainly I do. Um, and, you know, every big change in the world, people have to be able to communicate with each other. So, you know, marketing certainly wasn't my love. Uh, I, I never wanted to really be in that, that, that field. Social media also not really what I wanted to do, but I have to respect the fact that the communication that these inventions um, allowed are really helping Bitcoin now. So I have a respect for it, even though it's not necessarily what I love, love doing. 
Mm. Yeah, it's one of those things you have to sort of treat it with respect and and work out what it is you want from it because it's very easy to get wrapped up and and people sort of get obsessed about using it. I, I find it with myself just like using Twitter. I can sometimes find myself just scrolling aimlessly through the feed and and you can get to like it, it can be very samey sort of bitcoiny stuff, but then if you actually want to find something out and to get news and information quickly if you use it properly it really is like you say just such an incredible tool yeah yeah it's it's i i have the same experiences um and i'm sure everyone else else does um but you know every so often you just come across this little gem um hmm. and uh, you know i guess it's all about just trying to be disciplined in order to be able to find find those and not just waste waste time like we all do <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but it's it's so nice is because you get to meet people on there i mean i can only imagine i mean i came in 2017 it was a very lonely place for me because no one else cared or wanted to talk about bitcoin and it was the only thing i wanted to talk about and so it was very lonely until i found bitcoin twitter and then suddenly you've got all these friends and people you can speak to about what you're passionate around and that's really cool but i wonder what it was like for you because 2012 is very early were you alone in this pursuit trying to trying to find a problem with bitcoin or did you have any other friends who were involved in it at that time? Yes. So, I mean, my my long-term business partner, um, we were both, in fact, the very early days, we were um, considering setting up uh, our, our, our sort of a South African Bitcoin exchange. Um, uh, we're trying to compete with with uh, what was then BitX, which is today Luno. Um, mm. I'm very glad we didn't do it because... Um, it's it's not a world that I particularly want to be in, and in addition to that, um, we had too much on anyway. So um, mm. that would that, you know he was certainly keen on it. I was keen on it, and we both still 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 are. But I think my kind of journey into the depths of it was very much a solo pursuit. You know, as I say, I spent hours on the Reddit forum or Bitcoin every day. Um, it's it, it was certainly, I think, better than it is today. Today, it tends to be just the whole, whole lot of memes. Um, mm. Although you still can get some, you know, unique information there. Um, but, you know, that was really my primary source. And I would just go there every day and, you know, spend lots of time, waste a whole lot of time, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, you, you do gradually learn. And I, I just also got to see many of the, the kind of genesis um, events that happened in Bitcoin's life as they occurred, which, uh, mm. which was pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. It's just such a fascinating space. And it's like, there's always room to learn something. And, you know, no matter how much time you dedicate to it, no matter how much time you spend speaking to people about it, there's always something around the corner. And then, and then you think, oh, you know, look at what's possible now. And then suddenly next week, there's something that blows out the water. And it's just like, it's so fast moving. Maybe that's just for me, not being from a software background. Um, so it's not something I've really experienced. But, you know, you said you were there sort of early days with the internet, you were there with social media, you're there with the, uh, the marketing side. Is it something that still amazes you, the pace at which things are going, even though you've been involved in these sort of industries for a long time? Um, you know, it's funny. It's it's true what they they say. We we over overestimate, you know, kind of what happens 
in a in a year and underestimate what happens in 10, 10 years. Um, and, you know, I, I, I find, you know, at times from a macro point of view, I, I sort of think things kind of move along at a, at a fairly slow rate. You know, we're not seeing Bitcoin adoption just going up in, in a massive curve. Um, perhaps it is. We don't really know. But mm. um, what I have found is in, in every sort of technical field I've ever been in, you, you just can't know everything about every area. Um, you, you have to decide the area that you want to be in and kind of the others you can have a passing interest in, but you know, no one's brain is big enough to be able to understand it all. You know, I sit on the Bitcoin dev list and I try my hardest to scan at least every mail that comes through just so you at least get an idea of what's being talk talked about. But it's, it's really hard to understand, you know, areas that are not the sort of wallets field that I'm actually working in. Um, mm. So, yes, I mean, I think it moves very, very fast. Um, uh, but again, from a macro point of view, I think we are seeing this kind of societal change, which does take some time. I mean, it just doesn't happen overnight. Is it sort of, has it met your expectations or exceeded them from when you got involved and you started thinking about the implications that this could have on the world? If you sort of remember what you were thinking then and now sort of almost 10 years later, is it around where you thought it would be or, well, actually I can answer that because you said to me you were trying to break it and you, you sort of didn't believe it back then. But when you got to that point where you thought, no, I mean, this really is something special and, and dedicated your time, where are we on that line where you were expecting us to go? You know, it's a, it's strange, but I don't, I'm not sure if I have a great answer to that. Um, it's kind of like watching the price. You know, I, I don't ever look at the price. I, I literally never, ever check the price. And I don't really think too much about the progress of Bitcoin on a, on sort of a, um, adoption timeline all that much. Uh, for me, it's, it's, it's going to happen. It's busy happening. Um, I can see, I can just see it in the number of users. I can see it in the sort of interest from around the world. Um, you know, all of the content that is created. Um, you know, I, I think it's just it's just one of those things that is growing, and much like the internet, just became this 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 snow snowball. Much much like social media, just became this this thing that just grew and grew. And I think Bitcoin is very much the same. Um, we're just kind of sitting here in these very early days still looking at it. Um, one thing that I do think is that Bitcoin is going to change more than those previous two inventions um, because it really has you know, such an impact on, on people's perception of how to live your life. Um, you know, and that's really just talking to the concepts of low time preference. Um, it's just a, an amazing, uh, it certainly changed my life in that way. And I think it will change many, many people's lives. Um, and I, as I say, I think it's just an honor to be able to work in a field which is going to have this kind of massive societal change, which I think will be for the good. I agree with you. I think that it's going to do an incredible amount of good. And it's it's so interesting to see when people do start falling down the rabbit hole and do start sort of working it out. And you see these light bulb moments. And I've had so many myself and just the excitement that that gives. There's nothing else that really matches it. And I don't know if you find the same thing, but sometimes I wake up in the morning and I'm like genuinely excited and and 
sort of eager to find out what's going on and what can be done and learn some more. And I never really used to feel that before Bitcoin. I never really used to have that excitement because it really feels like this is going to change the world and and change so many people's lives. And I'm sure you must see it in South Africa a fair amount where people really need this technology. They really need something where they can store their value. They really need something where they can actually protect their wealth. And I imagine that's probably where this multi-sig comes in a little bit because obviously this is a bearer asset. How do you view that being in South Africa, I know obviously there can be a lot of issues and break-ins and, and, and problems. I've had a lot of friends who have moved from there here because they've um, been attacked in their homes. And how do you view that in terms of having a better asset? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good you know, you know question and point. Um, look, I personally have been – had had my house – burgled many times um you know I've, I've had all kinds of incidents in my life it is a violent place to live um there's no no doubt we are we are you know we have lots of alarm systems we have lots of armed response um i'm always amazed when i watch an american film and they leave doors and windows unlocked you know i, I just I, it, it boggles my mind I, I can't even imagine how one lives in that with that way because hmm. um it's just so far from the reality in which i exist so you know you sort of expect that you're going to get burgled at some some point and it can be fairly light and they just sort of break in and run around and steal a few things that they can grab their hands on but it can actually be quite serious in that they literally just back a van up and and take everything um mm-hmm. including perhaps that you know cold storage stash that you have so mm-hmm. you know for me multi-sig and being able to hide the fact that i am sort of sitting with a multi-sig was you know really important you know um you know obviously now saying it is kind of a sort of um uh, you know r- reveals that but I, I guess in a sense what I realized was, you know, if I can get more people doing multi-sig, then it just becomes the norm. And if it becomes the norm, then it just becomes much less of a um, favorable t- target to come and 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 go after some someone's, you know, um, cold storage. So I think that for me was really important. Just thinking about it in that 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 way, just wanting to make sure that you don't have a hard hardware wallet sitting in one place that can be taken that having mm-hmm. multiple hard hardware wallets in different locations i think is a very important thing to do um really it's just about you know peace of mind ultimately you want to make sure that you can sleep at night not worrying about you know if i'm away from my home and somebody breaks in am i at risk so Trying to normalize multisig, I think, was a big goal before me to, to be able to just make it easy to do. And I think we're still on that path. I think it's still quite a ways to go, but hopefully we will gradually get to it. So, yeah, that's um, that. You know, th- that was part part of 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 it. The the other side, you know, is really just around trying to hide your your balance. Um, and that's been a big thing thing for me. You know, I, I, that for me was sort of a given that you must do that from the very start. That even if somebody was to steal your laptop and get full access to it, 
that it should just be almost impossible for them to be able to determine how much you have. So Sparrow has really been built around, around that, just you know, lots of things in there that you don't see that just makes it extremely hard to ever open your wallet um, so long as you use a half-decent pass password so you know that i think is the the other half to it you know not only getting the multi-sig but also making sure that your balance is really well hidden mm. it's such a good point you know the, the security is so important especially when the further you get into this and the more you understand that this is the place you should be storing your wealth then you're going to be fairly heavily weighted and then if that's your life savings and you don't have multi-sig and if you're living somewhere where break-ins do happen often it's a pretty dangerous game to be playing it's pretty scary stuff. And I think people should have that view no matter where they are, but especially if it's going to be the norm that uh, someone could break in and especially if you've got a family to protect as well. So, you know, the, the idea behind multi-sig and having things in different locations just makes so much sense. It really is uh, such an incredible step up. I think the thing where I struggle is just, you know, that still technically I, I worry about making a mistake and I know things are getting better, but it, I think it's just a step-by-step -step approach. And like I said to you before the call as well, that's something that 21ism are trying to set up ourselves. We still haven't got around to it because things have just been absolutely crazy and we need the time to do it properly. But I wonder, is that something you're seeing on the rise that organizations are doing it as well as individuals? And um, how do you see that being managed, especially when you have people from different locations around the world, you know, setting these things up without a third party, without using something like CASA and, and doing it yourself? Is that something you see as possible and, and attainable for most non-technical people at this stage? Or like, how would you sort of advise people think about something like that? Sure. So, I mean, <clears throat> I've certainly, you know, helped businesses that I'm involved, involved, involved with do it. Um, I wouldn't say they have massive treasuries, but they certainly have started to put cash into it. And I've just generally advised them to go for a two of three. And, you know, you know, often I'm perhaps the third if I'm involved. Um, but generally, I can step back pretty fast. Um, I, you know, I've taken them through the basics. I've said, you know, this is how, how we sort of do it. And everyone kind of, you know, sets it up and everyone's a little bit scared at first, you know, am I doing this thing, thing, thing right? Um, and then they get to the point where they sign their first multi-sig transaction and it just goes very fast and they they kind of are quite amazed at the end and they, they say well was that it and i say yes that was it it really wasn't that hard <laughs> so you know i i think that it's it's there it, it has been in the past and we're not, not even talking very long in the past as i as i was saying earlier you know even just if you look two years back it was really hard to do i mean really really hard but things have moved a long way in these two years now we have, and it hasn't yet been adopted yet, but we have this new standard, um, this BIP129, um, which, you know, hopefully is going to mean that people from anywhere in the world can set up a multi-sig wallet in a secure manner. And, um, you know, it's all going to be just every hard, hard hardware wallet will comply with it. Every soft software 
you know, coordinator will comply, apply, apply with, 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 with it and it will just become a very standard sort of process. The other thing yeah. that I think I'm really liking is the um, increasing adoption of QR codes and not just any QR codes, but the, the particular animated ones that are using the UR specification that Blockchain Commons have come out with. And, you know, everyone just is going towards that. I've talked to lots of hardware wallet manufacturers every day, of course. And um, it's really great to see how, you know, all of these different manufacturers have realized that using a common standard is just super important to get everyone doing things the same same way. And um, I think we are we are seeing you know the rise almost sort of a new dawn here of just lots of very capable hardware wallets on the market, which all function via QR codes in the same same way. Um, and that's very cool to see. Yeah, I love that idea. Actually, I love the idea of having different hardware wallets from different manufacturers or home builds like the seed signer or spectre and being able to not rely on just one because as much as like i use cold card and as much as i love my cold card i can't review the code myself so i am still trusting i am still like if something was if there was to be an issue i would be fucked basically whereas if you had seed signer and a cold card and trezor or whatever someone chooses to use and then they're having that in a multi-sig it just feels as though there's the attack vectors are so much harder like it's so much more difficult for there to be an issue and if you have these standards where people have to work with them and you are using qr as well it just seems as though like it's such a massive step up that like if someone's going to consider attacking someone or five dollar wrench attacking someone and they have to really think carefully about that especially as more and more people start to use uh, multi-sig because they're going to think well is it worth the hassle because the likelihood is even if someone wants to give me the money they can't and even if there is a bug in or someone introduces a bug into one wallet well or hardware wallet then they're still not going to be able to get anything because they'd have to attack the others as well so it seems as though it's almost uh not going to be worth their while which is brilliant yeah i mean i couldn't have said said that better <clears throat> that's absolutely right you know every every additional you know hot hot hardware wallet that you add to a multi-sig um you know even if it's relatively you know insecure in some way it's still adding another order of magnitude of of difficulty to be able to hack that you know and mm. and that's um that's just an amazing kind of free lunch that we get with multi-sig um it's it's mm. just such a powerful tool in the bitcoiners tool toolbox when one is trying to save and, and as you were saying trying to save perhaps your kind of life earnings um mm. that I, I think is it, it just really can't be under underestimated or kind of underpraised um uh yeah especially when you know many of us have this multi-generational idea and wanting to be able to pass this on to our children i mean it would be so scary and so horrible to lose your life savings but even worse than that is if you were to lose something that you were planning to give to your children and and planning to hold so that you know you have strong hands you know you're going to hold it you know it's not going to go into the hands of these 
fucking finance bros and everyone else who's uh, getting into the space and messing around to lose that is not just losing money, it's losing the whole dream. And so the value, no matter what the price is, you know, the value is, uh, you can't put a price on it, basically. So it has to be protected at all costs. And um, there really is nothing more important. And it's, um, it's the reason I guess we all just try and get better and better as with me, like security wise, I'll just make little improvements all the time. And I'm still not there with, uh, with multi-sig, but it is next on my list. And yeah, th- there seems to be, it seems to be that it's just so much better than single sig security wise. It's for, for me, it is just literally ri- risk of loss through my own stupidity. That's the thing that holds me back. But it, it seems like it's getting more and more simple every day. I've just been reading through, um, Bitcoin Q and A. 101 on it and the kind of alchemist has a good one there's so many good guides yeah it, it seems as though it's basically there even for somebody like me who's not that technical but i wondered your thoughts like you know say someone does have their life savings in it and they're currently using single sig and they're not that technical what would you advise would you just say start with a little bit test it test it test it and and just add a little bit as your confidence grows or or is there sort of a resource you particularly like or, or what would you say to someone who's thinking about it yeah look i mean i, I think it's important to kind of grow your knowledge over time as you say you know as as you are doing i think it's it's very important not to make too big a leap at one one time um, and that's the right way to do it and the good way, 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 way to do it. But, you know, as you're also doing, try to increase your abilities all the time, trying to understand it a little bit, little bit more all, 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 all the time and kind of be driven by the sort of macro sense of where we're going. You know, if Bitcoin goes to where we all believe it will go, um, then the amount that you're holding now is going to be potentially worth a great deal more. And, you know, you as a target um is or you you know you are going to become a bigger target um that's just Mm. the reality of it um you know it's not neither good nor bad it's just the truth of the matter so you know it's it's important to think in this sort of adversarial manner that i think we all do um and to just try and, and get closer to to the point of where you say okay let's get ahead and kind of get a, get ahead ahead of things and set up my first multi-sig wallet and then the thing mm-hmm. that i always advise you know is don't ever put significant funds into any wallet that you haven't tested sending out from you know make sure you can send out from the sort of wallet and then perhaps once mm-hmm. you've set up the wallet you've put a small amount in you've tested the send, sending out leave it for a for a while and then come back to it after a few weeks and make sure that you can send again because you know we humans tend to forget things over a short period of time and you you don't want to kind of get to a point where you knew everything two weeks ago or a month ago and now you've just forgotten how to, how to do it so it's, mm. it's that sort of practice that i think really makes it easy um it was unfamiliar to everyone um, at the start. You know, everyone sort of battled and how do I do it? But if you just practice it and you just kind of get into it, um, it soon becomes really as easy as single single say. I really, I, you know, in my own brain, I certainly don't see any difference in terms of difficulty between the two. And that's just because I've done it many, many, many times over. So again, it's, it's just a matter of kind of easing yourself into it and then, you know, gentle practice as you, as you, um, you know, you gradually increase the, num- the, the, the sort of amount of funds that you hold, hold there. 
Yeah, and it's also alien, isn't it? Whether it's going from single sig to multi sig, or whether it's going from being a no coiner to setting these things up, it's such a it's a leap, and it's things that we're not used to doing, and it's just a, a thing of practice. I mean, I remember sending my first transaction; I literally shit myself. Like I was, I was thinking, oh, I was saying to my friend, "Oh, well, what happens if I get one digit wrong? What if what if one thing is wrong?" He's like, "Well, you lose everything." I'm like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah everything's gone. That's it. You're finished." And that. I remember being just so scary, even for a small amount. I was like, oh my God, I could lose everything here. And then you sort of just do it enough times that you go, okay, this is, you know, this is just how it works. I understand it. I'm comfortable with it. The same with setting up these hardware wallets. And so I imagine it's probably the same. It's just another stepping stone and um, just getting yourself comfortable because half the time that we worry about things, it's really just because we're being hyper paranoid, which is not a bad thing. But um, I think it's, it sometimes gets in the way of progress because it's uh, we're so scared about making a mistake. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it's difficult to know whether to recommend this or not. Um, but you know, if you're prepared to kind of invest the additional time to set up a testnet wallet, which is really, you know, easy to do, you know, if you can run Sparrow off the command line, you just literally add a dash in testnet uh, string, you know, just a few extra characters on, you know, and then you can run and create a testnet wallet, you can get free bitcoins, free testnet bitcoins from a faucet online, they arrive in your wallet within minutes. And then you can just send and test and create whatever crazy wallets you want to. And it really just, um, it gives you the chance to get familiar with things without having any risk at all, without just being completely, Mm. um, and and I, I, you know, for us devs, we, we're so used to it that it's kind of, you know, part and parcel. I mean, I'm sending testnet transactions every day of my life. Um, mm. And I, I think I underestimate um, just how much I have benefited from just not needing to worry about, am I making a mistake? You know, you can just mm. go ahead and press that button without having to think too much about about it and see what happens. And then, oh, okay, I did make a mistake. Oh, that was interesting. Let me learn, you know. So Mm. it's just such an incredible resource. And it's just sitting there and and it works. Testnet just works day after day, sends, receives, and you never have to pay for anything. Yeah, it's a good point. I've never done it. I've never tried it. I've always just done small amounts and uh, and just sort of hoped for the best. But um, like you say, if you're if you're doing these things and there's there's no risk, then you're probably going to push a little bit further. You're probably going to try things that are maybe slightly outside of your comfort zone because the the fear of loss is gone. So I think maybe that's something I should try. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the major advantage is yeah. that you just go faster you know you, everything just happens faster because you're not so worried about it all you you kind of you just um that's i, I think the, the 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 easiest thing is that you suddenly the whole journey becomes a whole lot quicker um as a result hmm. and so you were saying earlier you don't watch the price and a lot of people say this and don't really mean it they're bullshitting i believe you but I wondered what it was that makes it so special to you. And, you know, a lot of people are in here 
literally for number go up and and a lot of us come in i I was one of them for number go up and and then things change and you realize what this can do what was your views coming in and and how have they changed yeah i mean you know sure i mean i was definitely a number go up man at at the the sort of early days um you know i i sort of bought in and then i was trying to figure out you know um yeah as i was saying kind of the reasons that i shouldn't stay you know you know how do i hang on during these dark bear bear days during 2014 and 2015 where it's just just the price just doesn't move you know it just sits there and no one's Mm -hmm. really talking about it and just seems like it's a it's a backwater you know so i I was certainly very interested in the price price then and i would watch it every day um i've certainly been in that space um but, but as you know, time goes on, and I'm sure this has happened to you as well. You kind of you start to realize that this is really just about freedom. You know, it's it's about mm-hmm. introducing a new kind of um, element almost into human society. Society, this just ability to exchange value um, using a measuring stick that doesn't change. And 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 once you you start to grasp grasp that, I think it's hard to ever fully grasp it. But once you start to kind of realize the 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 immense um, uh, potential of a, um, a sound money, a permissionless sound money, then I think it just becomes, you know, really just you can see that this is an idea whose time has come. You know, it's it's mm. it's needed. It's it's you can't save in the world today in fiat you just can't do it you can take risky bets but you cannot save and um we need this thing now because if we don't get it then the alternative is very dark indeed we're looking at money controlled by governments and corporate rations in a privacy invasive way that we can we can't even really imagine um i think it's very hard for us to even imagine what it would be like for a government to be able to control our money to the extent that they can arbitrarily withhold it, track everything that we we spend or we're interested in. Um, it's just, and and that that is the truth. It's the the technology mm-hmm. for it exists today. So you know, for me, it's it's an imperative. It's it's really you know the 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 alternative is so so dark, and the future with Bitcoin is so bright that. They're the two polar opposites, and um, mm. that really drives drives me. It, it really makes me get up every day and want to get involved to the extent that I spend too much time on it, um, to be very <laughs> honest. But, um, you know, it's, it's as I said, it's just, just an honor to be able to work on something which, um, to be in the right place in the right time, to be mm. able to work on, 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 on this. D- did you have these sort of concerns prior to Bitcoin? Did you feel like you were primed for this in a, in a sense that you were freedom loving or didn't like authority or, or felt that there were issues with hierarchical systems or like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, were you already thinking along these lines or was it that whilst going down the rabbit hole, you started to click and think, oh, fuck, yeah, this isn't very good. Oh, I don't like that this group of people have control. This certainly isn't working out very fairly and that it came that way. Or were you always that sort of defiant person who who saw issues? So I think growing up in Africa gives one a certain um, view on the world, which you don't necessarily get growing up in a first world country. Um, You know, Africa is in many ways a lawless place. I mean, I, I say that 
tongue in cheek almost, you know, obviously we have laws and we have police and that, but you know, in many ways you get away with things here that you're just not going to get away with in the UK or the US, you know, it's just not going to happen. And um, when I travel, I really appreciate the fact that I have that kind of freedom here. It's, it, it is a little bit wild west in a way, and that has its drawbacks for sure, as we were talking about earlier. Um, but it also there's a, a freedom of living here um, in some some ways and others not um, that that kind of gives you a view, viewpoint that you're not prepared to give up. You're not prepared to give up those freedoms that you've enjoyed your entire entire life to be able to, you know, think the way you want to want to think and and um, uh, you know, just kind of live your your life in the way that you want to do it. So I think mm-hmm. I was to a certain extent primed for it. I don't think I've I've necessarily been a sort of activist in any way before this this sort of point. Um, but um, certainly being involved in the marketing space for as long as I have, and just ultimately just being really. Um, uh, you know, uninspired is too weak a word. You know, it's just it's just really pushed me away. I, I just I have no real interest, no love love for it. It's there's, you know, it's a, a huge amount of human effort has gone into trying to track and recommend and and do all of these market marketing things that I just think is is such such a waste. We could have spent that on you know that kind of um, those great minds on just better things um, and. You know that you know those are the, the sort of push and pull forces that I guess I've 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 had coming into this. Yeah, it always it always seems like it's like a broken incentives. It's like the governments and the people who are the supposed to be there and protect and serve you. It's not really in their best interest to do that, and it's always seemed like it's unfairly weighted and that things are sliding further away from freedom at all times certainly here it seems that way and and it's really shown like the the last sort of well since february march last year with all this corona hysteria the fact that people can literally at this point tell you what you can and can't have in your body what you can and can't say what you you know that you have to have something covering your face when you go into a shop whether your business is allowed to be open and and all this kind of stuff and it's something I often play forward and think, well, if this is the trajectory that we're on, you said earlier, like, oh, one, one, uh, one possible future is very, very dark and, and the other is Bitcoin and that's hope. Is it similar there? Are you seeing that things are sliding more towards an authoritarian kind of nightmare or is it more lawless in that sense as well where people are still kind of doing what they want? Um, you know, here it's 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 really more that the government is, uh, in general, just too inept to you know contemplate the kind of authoritarian rule that I think is very possible in places like the UK and, and sort of we're seeing seeing it uh, in many other places as well. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have a gov- government here that is often trips over themselves so much that you know it's difficult to see how they could ever in enforce on a largely you know uncontrolled you know sort of population the kind of um rigor that i think would be required but ultimately these things will come to pass you know uh you know no no kind of 
country is an island. And if the technology exists and becomes commonplace in first first world, eventually it filters down to the third third world as well. Um, mm. So, you know, I, I, I don't think South Africa is next on the list to become the sort of China of the world, but I certainly don't think that um, it's not going to happen. You know, it, it definitely, if we go towards the darker future, it will eventually happen everywhere because, um, you know, power is something that human beings love. They just want more of it. And we've seen that time and time again. So if you give them the technology and the ability to track everyone and to control everyone, that might not be taken up by every every ruler but but gradually as a ruler becomes comes into power who can be moved towards that end i think you will see countries fall and become that kind of controlled space that we all don't what don't want so um yeah you know i think it's 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 it just varies it varies from different place um but it will eventually happen unless we have some kind of alternative does that impact the decisions that you're making when creating this software and like the plans for moving it forward are you sort of considering not only five dollar wrench attacks but 6102s and the kind of the the idea of well i i often think like it, it would be logical if bitcoin does as well as i think it's going to do that governments either 6102 it or we become the terrorists and pedophiles and whatever else and we get labeled as the bad guys and persecuted for it do you think about those sort of things when you're creating the software to to think well how do we combat that because it's quite possible that that there are biggest opponents uh, in a few years they're the ones who are going to come and try and ruin this stream and, and how do you go about securing your coins in a way that they can't take them from you and they can't uh, apply the force that they want to apply yeah i mean it, it has a very large effect you know so i think you know the idea of trying to have a geographically dis distributed multi-sig is very important you know and you know doing that in a sort of a a, a sort of multi-country way so if you can imagine i don't know a five of ten um and you have to mm. fly around in order to get get them well you can have five of those countries become inaccessible to you for whatever reason but so long as you can access the other five then you'll be a be okay so i think that you know it, it's that's an amazing tool right there and then i think as i, as I was saying earlier the sort of idea of being able to protect how much you have is this this crucial tool because the reality is you know if you are a big enough target you know the stakes against you are just going to get higher and higher so the job number one is really making sure that you don't become that target in the first 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 place you know never allow anyone to know how much you have by mm -hmm. not only not talking about it but also making sure that the wallet soft soft software that you use and obviously that's my job is is, is just ensuring that it the absolute minimum amount of risk is um is sort of there so i would advise people you know don't open your cold storage wallet for too too long you know don't kind of leave leave leave, leave it open you should get in there you should check you should get a new sort of address if you need, but then close it and make sure that it's, 
you know, sitting on and, and you know, it's, it's just not in a, in a, a place that is easy to find. Um, that's, you know, that's definitely drives the way that I, I sort of, sort of think that's, that said, I'm, I'm actually don't believe that it's all that likely we're going to see a dystopia where, you know, most of the governments around the world are banning, but, Bitcoin. Uh, I definitely think it's it can happen, but mm. it doesn't look like that's the trend. It, it, you know, you don't regulate something that you're trying to ban, and certainly the former is the way we seem to be going. I, I agree with you. I think the the incentives are there for them to come and play the game, aren't they? So uh, th- there'll obviously be a few, but I suppose it comes down to, and uh, you sort of alluded to, is like UTXO management using tools that can help. Uh, stop people knowing your balances using things like samurai just making sure that you're thinking about what you're doing because the mistakes that we make now are going to be there forever so it's um it's it's just so important and i think the difficulty is when you're first coming into the space like there's just there's too much information there's just an overload of information and you know it took a long time to even start thinking about these things or understanding what they mean and um, I guess that's the thing is with, with software like your building is like it, it makes it more accessible and it it uh, doesn't hide these things. Like a lot of the wallet software hides this stuff away and it's so important that people understand it because otherwise they're going to come unstuck. Yeah, I mean, you, you, what the, the sort of my job is um, is to try and give all of that detail, but do so in a gradual way, you know, to try and present, present it so somebody can use Spyro and just say, listen, I just want to receive some Bitcoin to it. I need to know how to get an address. And that's all that I'm doing, right? So, you know, doing those first early steps shouldn't be too hard, but then as you get more into it, the tool should allow you to dig in and to kind of say, well, what's actually going on underneath the hood, hood here? That UTXO that I received, what does it look look like and how does it work when I try and send it back out, out again? What does it change out, output? So those kind mm. of ideas are things that the UX should you know, reveal to you in a gradual way and allow you to kind of learn. And I think that that's a huge as- aspect of what I'm trying to do do here. A sort of private goal of mine is that Sparrow becomes the tool in some kind of university or online sort of course. I, that, that for me would be really great. I think um, there's a lot of um, potential for, you know, the kind of Bitcoin wallet to serve as the educational tool. Um, and that for me is a, is a big goal as I build. Yeah, that would be really cool so that people can wrap their head around like what's really happening under the hood, but without being overfaced. Yeah, that's it. And is there any, well, not is there any reason, but like what was your thinking for having this as a desktop rather than a web app? Is there any sort of security reasons for doing that or what was what was the thinking there? Yeah, so I mean, look, there, there is uh, the the first thing is you know if you're going to have your life save, save savings in a wallet, right? This is your cold storage wallet. You're going to use the most powerful device that you have. Now, I've got nothing against mobile phones, and I totally believe and agree that most of 
the world will access Bitcoin using a mobile phone because that's what they'll 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 have, right? So it's great, and we have great mobile phone wallets. Um, but you know, I'm trying to build a desktop wallet. That's my particular goal because that's what I need. You know, I'm not going to interact with my cold storage on my phone. Like that's just madness. Um, so, you know. Um, for for me that that's the I guess guess the the first thing. But then there's also a particular technical reason actually why a mobile phone isn't necessarily the greatest, right? So if you're trying to target a wide range of say Android devices, you need to target ones that have relatively low power. And there's a key step in trying to encrypt a wallet, which is called the key derivation, which is where you take the password that somebody gives gives you and you translate it into what is a key, which is a whole series of bits. And if that process is done without too many iterations, if you will, then you know it's relatively easy for someone to come along with a really powerful computer and in effect brute force force that. But if you if you are using your laptop, you can use sort of half a half a second's worth of computing power and effectively get a key derivation, which is so hard to break that it's just even if you were to put millions of dollars behind behind it, you would never break break it. And that's what Sparrow does. So, you know, if you're using the Electrum wallet, it runs on mobile phones, and as a result, it's forced to choose a key derivation algorithm that is relatively weak because it's just, you know, the thing will never compete if you ah. are trying to use it on a phone. But if oh, you're using I'd it on your des desktop, then I can just tweak that setting right up and make sure that that cold storage wallet just cannot be broken into. So once that Sparrow wallet is sitting there on your hard drive, it doesn't matter if the FBI has access to that drive. I very much doubt that they can break it because it's just sitting there with this extremely difficult to break um, setup part of the encryption phase at the front. Okay. And so is that sort of similar to like 256-bit encryption or, or something like that where it's like similar to a Bitcoin private key where you you basically just forget it you're not you're not going to crack it is it a, a similar sort of thing yeah i mean it's as i say the process is really just about taking a pass password and you should use a if you use a password which is like 30 characters long you have in effect done the same same thing right but mm -hmm. you know now you have to walk around and remember a password which is 30 character, characters long so it's really about trying to take a what is a human pass password generally 8, 10, 12 characters long and translate that into a key, which is effectively, you know, adding these, this, this sort of additional information, if you will, that makes it much longer and makes it into this 30 character pass, 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 password. And the algorithm that does that, they have different strengths. So whether you can brute force it is really about how many times you can run that that thing to get the same key and if you can get the same key of course then you can decrypt whatever wallet it is i found when i use software on my laptop i sometimes wonder well what if obviously 
if I was to leave my laptop open and then I'm, I have my X pubs in there so that I can view what's on my cold storage, even though they might not be able to access it, it does concern me. Well, then they could view it. Like if, if there was an issue and sometimes, you know, got stolen or something like that, then obviously they'd be able to view it. What would be your suggestion on that? Would you just say, well, password protect it? Don't leave the laptop open and have that encrypted or is there any other things that can be done to sort of get rid of that risk yeah i mean i think the the, the main things are you know use a decent pop password on your wallet um as i say sparrow uses this very um intense you know you'll see the little progress bar at the bottom and it goes on and kind of it does this sort of work um which makes it that file very hard to crack and then once you you know when you're using the wallet do whatever you're doing and then close the the, the wallet don't leave your cold storage wallet open by all means have a day-to-day wallet which you leave open and that's fine you know if you lose everything in it you'll be you'll be bleak but you won't be too upset but your cold mm-hmm. storage wallet is really should be accessed, you know, think like, you know, 10 to 20 times a year. You know, that's kind of the sort of order at which I would think about it. Don't you shouldn't really need to get into it much more than that um, and make sure that you just minimize the amount of time that you spend in it. You know, just that's the honesty, the best thing, because um once you decrypt that wallet, you know, Sparrow does its best to try and hide hide everything and store things in funny, you know, bytes and and but you know, ultimately a good enough tool will always be able to figure it out because if the software that you're running can understand the wallet, well so can anything else. I think that the most the easiest way to defend against against that is just to make sure that the wallet isn't open for long periods of time. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And the other thing that I've heard discussed and I've not yet done is to have two different implementations running and then have your cold storage, have your XPubs on both. So if you're doing PSPT, you can just shuffle across, but you have both to just check and double check that when you are sending, that's always been a concern of mine is like when I'm using this software, somehow someone had hacked and then replaced my address that I'm sending to or receiving to with their own, then if I was running the two different bits of software, I could check against each other. Is there any sort of downside to doing that? Or or do you have any thoughts around doing that? I guess, you know, look, it it is a good practice to do for sure um the downside could be that you know depending on the software that you're using once you obviously have those experts out there then you know somebody can see the balance that stands behind behind them now for example if you're using bitcoin core as the back end as spectre Desk- desktop does then you know that bitcoin core node it stores those XPubs, um, all of those ad- addresses in clear text. So if mm-hmm. that Bitcoin Core for, node, for example, is running on your laptop and somebody gets access to your lap- laptop, it's very easy for them to get the addresses and from there to get the balance that you have. So, mm-hmm. you know, my my kind of warning is just, you know, think about the, the kind of security implications of having multiple wallets open. If they are using good encryption, then great. You know, then it's it's absolutely the right thing to, to sort of do. The other thing that I'll add to that is, um, you know, we have this wonderful tool um, which exists in Bitcoin called RBF, um, replaced by, by fee. And what it allows mm-hmm. us to do when fee rates are a bit higher than they are today 
is send a transaction with a with just a really low fee rate that's not going to confirm the next block and we can then call up whoever it is that we're sending the the bitcoins to and um say well did you see it? Is it sitting on your side? You know, are you able to see whether this transaction has come through to you, even though it hasn't confirmed firmed yet? And if it has, then you can be reasonably sure that you've got the right address. But mm-hmm. um, what you can then do is then send an RBF, right? It's then replace by, by fee. So increase the fee on the same transaction and it will then just go go through and it will immediately replace the one with the lower fee and everything works fine and that's just an amazing tool that we have and i think is very underused um it just kind of gives us this ability to almost do sort of a test net send if you will on on a, a mainnet you know kind of transaction so that's some, some some something that i've built into into um the kind of fee rate um slider in um sparrow wallet um just to be able to do this kind of try then replace um fee choice yeah it's pretty incredible that it's something that i haven't yet used but from my understanding of it it just it's kind of like having postage uh you do the lowest postage as well and then you could suddenly if you want something to go through faster you can then change it after posting it almost it's pretty clever yeah that's it and and the the most amazing thing is that you know we think of the bitcoin network as you know not the fastest it, you know transactions confirm every 10 minutes but the replace by fee is immediate you know when you broadcast that replaced transaction it will be replaced on the network within a second all over the world i mean mm-hmm. it's, it's just incredibly fast so you you get this this kind of this real liveness to it um which is which is a unique thing and i, I you know I, I just i think it isn't used enough yeah very cool i'm gonna have to have a play around with it i um my plan was to download sparrow and have a proper play around with it but i'm moving house and things have just been fucking crazy and i just uh i don't i hate doing this sort of stuff under pressure and uh especially when there are funds at risk so i've put it off but it's um it's something that i really want to have a play with and uh, and go through all these guides and everything and I'll, that's definitely something that i'll try so is it once, once i've got it set up presumably because i'm currently running spectre presumably there's a way that i can export the wallets that i have attached to that and run it in parallel is there some kind of feature i can do or will it be like from scratch the same thing like exporting from my cold card shuffling it across and then adding those wallets on and then trying these features or is there some sort of clever way that uh, they can mirror each other uh, no, actually, there, there there is a very easy way to do it. You can uh, just use the um, in the file menu. There's a wallet uh, import, um, which pops up a little dialog, and you'll see the Spectre des- desktop option there. And then you just it's you know if you click on it, it gives you the kind of directions on where you get the export file from the Spectre wallet. And you just bring mm-hmm. that file, file, file in, and it will, it should just work. You know, everything your wallet should pop up in, in Sparrow, 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 and it should download everything, and it should just work from there. Very slick. And you just put that on like a 
USB or micro SD or something, do you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you need to trans transfer it from one sort of computer to another, it should, should be a very small file. In fact, I actually saw um, just a few hours ago there was an improvement to Spectre's um, export file, which is going to make this even better. So I'm glad glad to say that, um, yeah, I think from now your labels and things actually get transferred as well um, on, on in, in terms of what you've called your various um, hardware wallets. Ah, that's really cool. And will that do that for the UTXOs as well for the management side? Like I'll be able to see I'll received from or you know whatever will it unfortunately not well? no that's uh that's uh, something which uh isn't in the spec specter export file right now you can get that if you have an elect electrum wallet then uh the labels do get transferred across into sparrow but unfortunately the specter export file is really just a description of the wallet itself it's not really the labels on the transactions and those 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 kind of kind of details Okay, so that that would be a manual thing that we'd have to do. Yeah, I'm I'm afraid so for now. Yeah. Okay, is it possible though? Like it's a thing that could be done. It's just oh, not yes. yet done. Yes, okay. for sure. Right. It's uh, it, it it can absolutely be be done. As I say, I think we're just kind of um, all working away at trying to make these things easier. What we don't have mm. is a standard format for being able to transfer labels across the sort of electrum wallet file is probably the closest to that that i've ever seen and it's certainly by no means a standard way of doing things in fact i'm, I'm always finding new ways in which electrum stores labels in odd places that i wouldn't have considered in its wallet file but um hmm. we've now reached the point where i think i'm getting all of the labels when you import your Electrum wallet into Sparrow, Sparrow, Sparrow. I think all of the labels now come across. That's cool. And so, with all this stuff that you're doing and, and constantly improving, do you get time to do things outside of Bitcoin? You're obviously in such a beautiful country. There's surfing, there's wildlife, there's, there's all sorts going on. Are you finding you're sort of glued to the computer all the time, or are you, do you have other hobbies outside of Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, uh, look, to be honest, I do spend a bit too much time uh, on it. Um, I mountain bike as well, and I can't. What about now? Yes, Am I coming go. through? We there we are. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> oh, I was pulling my hair out there. I was thinking, what is going on? I thought I'd try everything. But, um, yeah, thanks for joining me again today, and I'm, I'm so sure. sorry about the last uh, last time and today i don't know what the hell is going on but um yeah i, I suspect as... it was a zen zencaster issue that, um that, that's my my guess anyway yeah it seems like it i might have to try something different uh going forward but uh yeah it's never been quite that bad but um yeah i can't remember where we left off yesterday i think we were talking about mountain biking and uh what, what you were doing outside of outside of bitcoin a little bit but i think we lost all of that audio i had the other the other hour so yeah. do you get a lot of time still with everything that you're doing in bitcoin i, I can imagine it's uh, incredibly busy working on a project like this and am i right in thinking it's just you working on it or do you have anyone else working with you 
It's pretty much just me. Um, so the, the, I do get a bit of, bit of help um, from time to time. People drop in and, and sort of add a PR or help me clean up issues, you know, which is great. Um, and I certainly appreciate all of that. But um, for the most part, Sparrow is a solo effort at this point. Um, and, you know, that's, that has sort of its pros and cons, you know, uh, on, obviously on the sort of downside, maybe um, there's just more on one sort of person. But on the plus side, you get this sort of this real control over, you know, making a product which is cohesive in terms of the UX and also cohesive in terms of the code that, that sort of underlies it. Um, mm. And I think that with open source, it can be that if, if you get a bunch of people who are kind of just working on whatever they want to work on, it can get quite difficult um, to maintain that sort of cohesiveness over time. And I think a few open source devs I've heard um, have mentioned this. So, yeah, so I mean, it's it's got its pros and cons. And I don't think that necessarily it'll be that way forever, but that's the way it is for now. Yeah, I, I can imagine that if you have a sort of vision of what you want and uh, it can get a little bit more messy. But does it get sort of, do you ever feel like it's a lonely existence doing that and working alone all the time? Or do you enjoy doing a project by yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think a bit of both, to be honest. Um, there are definitely times when it feels like, you know, you just wish you could bounce ideas off, you know, people and kind of just like, am I thinking about this right? You know, those kind of moments do happen. And there are a few people I can reach out to. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, it is pretty lonely at times. Um, I won't say it isn't. Um, it would be great if we could travel more, right? Uh, I think, you know, where the world is, <laughs> yeah. it's just, you know, I would have loved to go to the Bitcoin conference in oh, Miami. Yeah, I'm sure you would have too. But I mean, you know, you just can't, right? Um, so um, those things will will come. So, you know, I'm just going to have to be patient. It will happen. Uh, the, the the idea of that just sounded so good, though. So many Bitcoiners all meeting together and uh, having some drinks. And yeah, I can't think of anything better because a lot of the time we're all, I mean, all doing different things. Some some of them more useful than others, but um, you know, we're all basically behind a computer talking. Uh, talking, but not seeing each other, and and it's so different being in person with a Bitcoiner, I, I really, really look forward to a time when that can happen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hopefully soon. And any future plans for Sparrow? Anything that's sort of in the works that uh, you might be able to share or anything that you are dreaming up that might be a while away, but you'd really like to add in? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's quite a, quite a few things um, that are kind of on the horizon, but I, I'm I'm quite careful with trying to um, plan too far in advance. Um, something mm -hmm. that I've just put in now, which hasn't been released yet, is um, kind of persisting your wallet as a database rather than just as a file, and that's been quite a big sort of internal change that's taken quite a long long time, but it's going to enable many other things um, to kind of be built on it. So, you know, you can't, for example, have a lightning wallet, which, you know, writes to this file and you have to rewrite the file every time you get a new, you know, transaction to it. And if you're getting many of them in a short space of time, that's not going to work. So at all, Autobase is kind of a requirement for that kind of thing. Um, 
and then there are other other nice you know nice to haves that you can put in like sort of multiple accounts in one database and i'm thinking about those and trying to decide the right way to do it because i think it's important to maintain the simplicity of the wallet at the same time you don't want to just keep on adding features and then in the end mm. it just gets too hard to use so i think it's you know I'm, I'm, i i would like to take my time and just kind of think think about it for me the most important thing is that it remains an easy to use wallet that allows bitcoiners to really understand what's going on um and that's that's the goal and uh, hopefully it won't add features that detract from that goal um so yeah beyond that it's 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 difficult to say you know i think it's been it's been quite a long journey to where we are today, and and I think the wallet is is well rounded in terms of what it can do. Um, so I'm I'm kind of almost taking a bit of a step back just to kind of survey and see what does the world need, what is what is what is sort of next at this time. Hmm. And when you're making these decisions, would you say that generally it's right? What do I want? What do I see missing, and, and and I want to improve on? Or would you say like a lot of it is user feedback? How do you decide what you're going to go to next? Yeah, I mean, I, I think user feed, feed feedback has certainly been the driving force for the last you know six months or so, um, and it's been it's been great. You know, I've just had an amazing amount of feedback um, saying, you know, can you add this? What what about this? And you know, I think to quite a large extent, it's actually around being kind of reaching feature parity with the Electrum wallet, which I would say Sparrow is. The closest to in terms of the functions that it has, um, and you know, people kind of wanting to move across have um, asked for this and that that they are used to using. So, it's certainly been a lot of user feed feedback that's driven things. Um, but you know, one also has to look to the future and kind of see well, what is what is the next wave of Bitcoining going to require? You know, is it time to build layer two in? Should I be focusing on Taproot now? You know, that, those are the kind of thoughts that I'm having. Um, so, yeah, um, and I'm, I, I always just love to hear what people want. You know, that's, that's always interesting. I've got one for you then, as you've just said it. When bit 47? Yeah, so I'm really glad that you asked that because... Um, it's been something I've put a lot of time into doing research on. I was actually doing research on it again today. Um, and in fact, I was listening to Rabbit Hole recap earlier and they were talking about it. And, you know, it's it's just this, this thing which everyone wonders, why don't more wallets have it? Um, mm. and, and, you know, I, I don't profess to be an expert in it. Um, but I have spent some time look, 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 looking at the spec and trying to understand what's going on. Um, it's, it's really difficult to build it into wallets in the sense that it's quite a different setup than most wallets have. You know, most wallets have this very well-defined kind of hierarchy where you have your master private key and you just derive your sort of chain. And... But 47 just follows a completely, not a completely, but certainly a somewhat different set of set of rules. And you have these what are called if ephemeral keys that you then build out um, and you develop this kind of address book 
if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's just a very different thing. And trying to build that into the into Sparrow's UI, where my goal will always be to display everything to the user, right? So I'm not just going to show you a balance and a list of of transactions that build up that balance. I'm always mm -hmm. going to say, well, you know, what are the UTXOs and allow you to kind of drill into it. So having such a different setup, particularly for a wallet like 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 I have here is just a very different um, thing, and it's quite a challenge to look at that and to say, well, how are we going to build that in? So that's one of the concerns. Mm -hmm. The other one that, um, and this this is actually something that I need to con confirm, but you know, if you're looking at where the BIP forty seven spec is going, it's moving beyond. Um, kind of the the kind of where it's been for the last you know five or six years, and moving into what is called version three, and it looks like the sort of address based indexes that, for example, Bitcoin Core uses an address based index, and Electrum Server also does. But it looks like version three is not going to be supportable with an address based index, right? So now we have a whole problem on the server side, you know, that I can't necessarily mm. solve. So I might be wrong about these these things, or at least about that last point, and I'm actually asking about, about it now. But um, it is a question of, you know, if it's going to be this hard for me to build it in, then it's going to be this hard for everyone else to build. And what is the adoption rate going to look, look like? Because it's no point in in, you know, one or two wallets having it. If, mm. if if we don't have general broad use, then it's just not ever going to make much of an impact. Um, and, you know, I, it in, under those conditions, it would be better if I went and spent my efforts elsewhere, right? So those, mm -hmm. are, those are concerns that I have, you know. Um, you know, there, there is, I think, real reasons why um, it, there has been such poor adoption of it to date. And I don't think it's all about... The fact that the Bitcoin Core devs decided that it wasn't a good thing to have—that's often touted as as the reason. I don't think that that actually is the cause. I think that most wallets would like the the kind of user praise and the user adoption that building Bitcoin, you know, building BIP forty seven in would 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 have. The reality is that it's just it's just a long walk to get to that point. And if a lot of other wallets don't do it then you're going to build it and no one's really going to use it much. So that's kind of yeah. my long spiel about, about it. Um, as I say, it's still something that I'm interested in, still something I'm looking at, but um, I do have some concerns because I, I don't want to go and spend time building things into Sparrow, Sparrow that are just not useful um, to most, mm. most users. That's interesting. Obviously, from a, from a non-dev, non-techie person, it's like... Uh, to me, I'm like, oh, it seems like a cool thing. It's something that would be nice. But now that you've explained it that way, I was sort of wondering off the top of my head, maybe there's a way that multiple uh, wallets can work together to create something that could be implemented. Or is that something that because they're all so specific and built differently that it's almost like you couldn't have a standard and a way that, that it could be implemented across all of them? Um, look, I mean, you can do it. I, th I think that if we're looking at the version one, which has been out for many years, um, that's some something that most wallets can build. It would, I think, it's quite a bit of work. It's certainly not mm -hmm. a simple feature to add. 
But then if you stuck with version one, you stuck with the old style addresses that begin with a one, right? Which are not the most yeah. fee efficient way to do it. Um, mm -hmm. Now version three moves on to our new BC1 addresses. But as I say, then if, I'm, if my reading of the spec is correct, we are um, unable to migrate easily all the Electrum-based wallets and all the Bitcoin Core-based wallets. And that's a lot mm -hmm. of wallets, right? So now you have basically everyone kind of stuck going back to the old tech of the one, the, the addresses that start, start with the one. And that just doesn't seem great to me. That doesn't seem like no. we're moving forward. So, you know, these are, you know, things that need to be talk, talked about and maybe there are answers, but um, it's not a slam, slam dunk um, to, to get this thing done. Hmm. And you mentioned uh, Taproot earlier. Is that one of the main things that's exciting you going forward, or is there anything else that's developing at the moment that you've really got your eye on? Um, that uh, yeah, that's exciting you right now. Yeah, so I mean, I'm certainly very excited about what Taproot can bring. You know, one of the goals that I had when I first began this thing was not just to have you know, multi-sig as the only kind of script type that you could have, right? Uh, that you would be able to build your own custom ones. Like, for example, you decide that, you know, you want to give your kids some Bitcoin, but you don't want to have them them to have it in, until, until a certain time, right? So you mm -hmm. want to kind of time lock things, things, things in. Now, you can do that in Sparrow today, but the creation of kind of relative time locks and and those sort of things which are powerful features that the bitcoin protocol supports are not generally in wallets um mm -hmm. and they're not in wallets because it's quite difficult to build a consistent ui around those sort of ideas so um you know it's kind of been left as this kind of to be solved thing um mm -hmm. and taproot just allows us to build you know, so much in that sort of sphere. So I'm excited to kind of try and get back into that and try and understand how can we solve that and how can we find script types that go beyond multisig because multisig is really just one, you know, Bitcoin script itself allows you to create all kinds of things. And um, it just feels like we don't use that enough. Yeah, that'd be so cool. I've, I've spoken to a few people about this and every time I talk about time locks, I'm like, oh, you know, I think it'd be a good idea for me to do a time lock. Like it would be an idea for someone who wants to hold for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years or for their children or grandchildren. But everyone's always said, oh, don't be so stupid. That's a stupid idea. It's dangerous. Don't do that. What if you suddenly need it? Like, don't do that. But it, it's always appealed to me because... I genuinely don't want to move them. Like I genuinely, this is my pension uh, or, or for children. So it's something that's always appealed. But yeah, I've never seen uh, sort of the ability to do it in any wallet software or uh, it really be talked about by too many people. Is that is that literally just because currently it is too difficult to use or there is some risk of loss or, or not ever being, it, it doesn't actually ever come out of that time lock? So you can actually do a time lock in Sparrow today and probably in other wallets too. You basically, there's a field called absolute time lock, which is there in whenever you sign the, tron the, the 
transaction is a little bit higher up. Um, and you can set that to be either a time or set that to be a certain block height. And then your transaction just isn't valid until that, that time. In fact, I think you can't actually post it. So mm. you can do it today. But what Taproot allows us to do is to construct these script paths that say, listen, it's fine if this guy with this private key comes along and signs, signs it, that's okay. But if he isn't around or he doesn't do it for whatever reason, let's have a time lock so that there's an alternative path that allows us to spend these coins with a different private key after a certain period of time. And that's a very mm. cool thing to have because it kind of, it kind of takes, you can kind of now introduce this variability into things. Um, so, you know, I, I think time locks themselves can be done today. And, and I think it's an interesting use, use case, but I think you can actually de-risk it um, and you mm. can certainly introduce a lot more use cases if you start to introduce these kind of additional options to it. Um, so that's, that's, I guess, what I'm kind of moving towards in terms of thinking about how can we adopt and use Taproot in interesting ways. Yeah, because it seems like it would be brilliant. You know, we were talking about someone coming $5 wrench and uh, you have the multi-sig, you're so much more protected than you would be otherwise. But I suppose if you had something that was time-locked and provably time-locked, you know, just like worst case scenario in my head is that you have this multi-sig set up, someone comes and they batter the shit out of you and torture you until, you know, even if you are telling the truth and you literally cannot send Bitcoin to them, if you had some sort of provable way, like, look, it's time-locked, there's nothing, nothing going to happen for 10 years. Like, there is nothing that I can do to allow you to have these coins. I want wonder whether that might be something that um, could really help people in the future because I guess the thing is everyone's going to tell a thief that actually no I can't access it but whether they believe that is another thing isn't it yeah I mean one thought that I've had is is you know what if you split your overall bitcoin stash up into say 10 blocks and then you time lock them for different periods of time right so you had some that weren't time locked in case you really need, needed the, the the cash and then some that you just couldn't access so there are different sort of ways to do it i think that are interesting uh, and certainly mm. you're right you know if you get here and, and you say listen it's in a time lock there really isn't anything anyone can do it's just literally you have to wait until that time um mm. so yeah so I'll i, I think you, that i'll see is, you in 10 years yeah that's it. <laughs> <laughs> i'll be back <laughs> For sure. Well, that'd be interesting to see that develop. And, and I know these things take some time, but um, it, it's just great to have more options all the time and to create more and more difficult sort of uh, elaborate ways of, of protecting yourself because it's going to be so important going forward. Like I said to you in the first part of the episode, as 21ism, there's six of us involved. We're all in different parts of the world. We're looking to set this thing up. Is there some risk in us setting something up when we can't sit with each other? Because if we were all to run, for example, if we we're running Sparrow and we all have different hardware wallets and we set one of these things up, are we having to share information between one another that could be intercepted and we could be hacked? Or is there like a is that just a non-issue that I'm making up in my head? Because it's as someone who hasn't set it up, and none of us have. 
we're all like, this is something that we want to do. It's important just so that we don't actually mug each other off because we've never even met in real life. But at the same time, we don't want to have lots of fun. So I was wondering, like, are we are we overcomplicating things in our head or is that a real concern? Look, I, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say it's a good reason to delay doing it um, because I think the you know so long as you're using relatively secure channels um, and maybe two of two of them, then you know you there is a chance that you know information can be attacked with a sort of man in the middle attack, as you say. Um, so you will be sharing your XPub information around so you can all reconstruct the multi-sig wallet. Um, I would be remiss at this point not to mention the recently approved or or um, published BIP 129, which is really designed for this exact reason, right? So what it does is it kind of, you have this shared secret word um, between the six of you and it's basically this encrypted file that gets transferred around and then you decrypt it with this word and that allows you to then build out the multi-sig over time so mm-hmm. you know it's really has been designed for this exact use use case um uh, but you know that's not some something that i think is really um usable today it might be um but i'm i'm not sure that any wallets have actually built it in yet um okay. so you know, I think it's really just comes down to kind of making sure that you have multiple communication channels open when you share the information. And obviously, then you cross check it against those mm-hmm. and just make sure that it's the, the, the sort of same. So, so that's the way that right. I would do it today. And, and maybe use something like PGP or something like that just to, to be secure rather than just doing it on uh, Telegram or something like that. Sure. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, we will uh, we'll be giving that a go then. And um, any other sort of tips? Because my thought is we're not going to be the only people and certainly going forward, um, there's this new kind of almost like NIM economy and Bitcoin as a meeting online and building projects and working together. And I feel like this is going to become more and more important because you need to have quite often some funds that are either coming in from donations or um, that need to go out to purchase equipment or whatever else is that you need. And then there's also always that worry that you have someone in the group who's going to try and rip the others off or, or something goes wrong. So I can only see this growing and, and becoming more and more necessary. So are there any tips for anyone listening who might be uh, involved in something like that and thinking, right, I need to set this up and, and I don't want to make a mistake? Sure. So, I mean, I guess the easiest way to do it um, is to have one of of the group kind of gather all of the information and then set the whole thing up and then share the kind of output descriptor or you know the kind of description of the wallet with everyone right and then the standard advice of you know test your test a small amount into the wallet and then being able to send Mm -hmm. out from the wallet first right so then just make sure that everybody sees the same same thing everybody can sign everybody has that kind of um, um sort of experience with the wallet before you commit any really, you know, real amount to it. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's, I think, the main kind of kind of thing. As I say, I've done this before in a 
remote way and um, it's worked it's worked well um, it's it's really not that hard it's particularly easy of course if everyone's for example using a cold card then then it's you know the same f- f- format and you know the whole thing just kind of um, is quite smooth if you're using qr codes i could see that it would become a bit more tricky um it could still Mm -hmm. be done but uh it might involve you know holding up phones to screens and things um Mm. but uh you know i guess yeah it it just kind of depends um on what hard hard, hardware wallets are in play and in time hopefully we'll all have this bit 129 which will make it easier Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you say, like, do we all have cold cards? I think actually we all do. But what we discussed earlier was, you know, this idea of having different hardware wallet manufacturers or home-built ones, uh, DIY builds, just so that you have that um, a little bit less worry uh, in case Rodolfo goes rogue and none of us know, you know. Yeah. would there be other hardware wallets that would have the same standards so that it would work in the same way but they're not all cold card if that makes sense yeah so i mean you can pretty much use uh, i think ledger is not great with multi-sig but they don't send hardware wallets to dev so (laughs) i don't own one so i can't actually really say all that much about about it um but that's one that i'm not too sure of however you know if you're looking at a trezor um trezor doesn't save the multi-sig you know wallet to the actual device so it can't really check the addresses or anything um so it's not so great in that you know point, point of point of view but certainly it can be used um i would say the the keystone which is a new one that's just uh, you know the kobo vault guys have kind of left mm-hmm. that firm and created what is a keystone i actually have have one here it's a really great little device that i think is a very good option um, mm-hmm. And there are some, you know, there's just these these two um, really great um, DIY ones, the Spectre and the Seed Signer, both of which mm. I think are good options as well. So, you know, it's uh, there's probably more as well. I'm going to miss a few out. Um, I'm just checking my desk here to see what else I have. Um, <laughs> Passport, but, um, have you tried that one yet? So that's in the mail. Um, very keen to try it, but uh, mm. can't really say too much about it, about it, about it yet. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. that's so certainly one of the newer ones that's um, looking like it has decent support. Mm. Interesting. And do you, do you have a favorite hardware wallet? Um, you know, my favorite might not be everyone else's favorite. You know, I quite like my little old Trezor one just because it's pretty fast and, you know, I need to sign... Mm-hmm many 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 you know you know things a day so um yeah. you know where whereas i'm actually using um an old mark ii cold card sometimes which is a bit slower um so it, it just varies um you know i i think in terms of a cold storage wallet i think the cold card's still pretty hard to beat um mm-hmm. you know qr codes really are great from a user um you know point of view they just make life easy however the one nice thing about using an sd card is that you can for example 
go to your bank vaults with only your little power pack and your cold card and you can sign there right you don't need to take a computer you don't need to take anything else mm -hmm. and i think that that's quite a nice little little um ability to sort of have and that's you know in terms of the kind of uh yeah that's i don't know that's that's just one of the little areas that i quite like like of it um mm -hmm. but you know, ultimately, I think you know the 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 best way to go is, as we've said, with multi-vendor, multi-sig. Uh, that's that's the you know try not to become wedded to any one hard, hardware wallet. Try to use a, a few because your security will be that much better if you do. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. We can sort of because people say, oh, well, it's open source software and you're using something like a cold card and everyone's reviewing it and that is true but then there is still that element of trust you know someone like me who can't actually review the code i mean i could go and have a look at it but it wouldn't mean much to me um i am trusting others i am trusting that other people's eyes have gone across it and that everything's okay and um like you say, once you have these other hardware manufacturers involved as well, it just uh, it just becomes so much less likely that you're going to have an issue. No matter how much I like the cold card and, and like Rodolfo, you know, you just never, never know. And um, when you're talking about these things, you just want to be as safe as possible. So, um, yeah, that, that's where this multi-sig stuff just really... Um, I mean, do, do you think that when this becomes accessible really accessible to the average person um, which doesn't feel like it's a million miles off to be honest do you think that there'll be any legitimate reason to have single sig oh yes i mean i think certainly if you have a fairly small amount you know you don't want to have to go and run around and sign with three different wallets just to um you know get your your kind of payment made but i think for cold storage um you know I think it will be. It will certainly get to the point where you know, if you are saving your kind of family's wealth or your life earnings in it, um, and you're not using multisig, you know, it'll be well. Why, you know, why are you so sure that you're not going to have any issues? Um, mm. Yeah, I, I just, I, you know, for me, it's just there's the 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 sort of peace of mind that it brings um, for relatively little additional cost and, and sort of effort is just huge. You know, it's just a, a, a really fantastic thing to have just to know that the chances of anyone doing anything are basically so, so low that you don't need to worry about it. Hmm. Okay. Well, look, Craig, thank you so much for joining me the last couple of days. And like I said to you before, I really do apologize for all the technical issues we've had. I really enjoyed getting to know you a little bit. And um, as I say, I'm really looking forward to setting something up and uh, getting something set up for 21ism. After we got off the call yesterday, I did just have one more question that uh, I put on my list, which was after you'd said how you had started with Bitcoin and having that adversarial mindset, I wondered if there's anything now that you're looking out at, and it could be technical or it could be social. Is there anything that worries you about Bitcoin at the moment? Is there anything that you're looking at and just uh, keeping a marker there and it concerns you slightly? Or are you fairly comfortable with the way that things are going? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that really worries me um, the most is that 
we won't get enough people to self-custody their own Bitcoin. That, I mean, that just worries me, you know, much more than a ban, to be honest, mm. because if we have too many banks and large players holding Bitcoin, then the risk for them to rehypothecate it just drops. You know, there'll always be risk, right? They can't print it, but the risk certainly drops if 95% of people are not holding it themselves, you know. Um, and if they just regard the chance of a bank run to be pretty low, and then they're just going to say, right, you know, well, we'll just we'll just invent some, right? We'll just, uh, as they do with fiat today. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if they start doing that, it is going to affect how scarce it is, and it is going to affect ultimately Bitcoin's impact on the world and whether it can actually be what it was meant to be. So I, I really worry about that. Um, that's for me part of the mission of what I'm on is just to make self-custody really easy. Um, but I think that if, if we don't watch out and we don't spend the time trying to educate people on why you need to take your coins off the exchange, why holding them in an EFT or a bank or whatever it is, is a bad idea, then I think we mm. might very well end up in a place where, as I say, the risk of rehypothecation is just too low. Um, and and uh, and we might end up actually seeing it, which... which um, which they're going to try, right? They're going to try and try oh, yeah. and do it. But what we hope and what we believe is that they're going to come short when they do, right? And that needs to actually happen. So mm-hmm. um, I look forward to the day when when there are there is a major kind of institution that is caught with their pants pants down. I think that that's an important <laughs> lesson that the world needs 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 to learn. Um, and somebody's going to have to pay it, right? Um, but, you know, it's never going to happen unless we have enough people who are out there and saying, I need to hold my own keys. Hmm. It's such a good point. It's, uh, it's one of my concerns as well. And the only thing that I can say that sort of makes me sleep a bit sounder is that if they do try and rehypothecate, which they will because they're greedy, stupid bastards, but if they do that and then we have almost like a bifurcation of this network, do you not think that anyone with half a brain would say, prove that you have it, send it to me? You know, like if, if someone's just saying, oh, we hold this balance and here's, here's a number on a screen, the people who do hold their keys will just not almost interact with that separate system whatsoever and then when it all eventually would come crumbling down when like you say someone gets caught with their pants down and it may have some sort of cascading effect where people actually start checking or actually start trying to withdraw then it would be a complete disaster for that system but everybody else who actually hold their keys and actually use it properly would be fine and then it would sort itself out or or do you think that it would cause so many issues in terms of people who would then say oh well you know we don't trust bitcoin anymore and it would take a long time for people to um gain trust again 
Yeah, I think it's it's hard to know which way of those two it would go. Um, you know, if if as I say, I mean, if if you, as I'm sure you've you've kind of kind of experienced when you try and onboard people and you say, well, you need to take your coins off the exchange, they kind of you know they're kind of looking at you and saying, well, why? You, know, mm. you have to try and explain to them, but you know. People have become so used to the fact that you know you don't hold your own money yourself, you know, and, and taking that responsibility on is obviously a, a, a sort of a line that we've all crossed, but um, requires some degree of of um, courage, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. So, so you know, are we going to convince enough people? Um, I think is ultimately gets what's going to decide which way of those those two things i mean if less than five percent of people and of bitcoiners you know people who hold bitcoin and some 10 to 20 years from now are actually holding the keys themselves then that's probably a not an economic um significant you know portion to actually create any kind of issue and then you know things will just go on and they'll kind of Printed and you know, or at least say that they have more than they have. Um, so you know, it's largely going to come down to how much real use it gets. You know, how much we actually use the tools that we are given um, versus just regarding this this thing as a unit of account. Right? Um, we need to actually hold it and interact with it and use the protocol. Um, that's I think very important. Absolutely. I completely agree. And um, on behalf of 21ism, uh, I would like to say thank you so much for what you're doing and making this dream of self-custody for the masses a reality. It really is appreciated. Uh, it all goes very much above my head, but um, I understand what you are doing, even if I don't understand how you are doing it. And um, yeah, just massive respect for what you're putting out and uh, the time that you're taking to do this. And I really hope that at some point we are allowed to travel. We can uh, see each other for a beer or a whiskey. And yeah, just massive respect. And, and thank you so much for what you're doing. I really look forward to having a play with the software and setting us all up on it. Great stuff, Max. Uh, yeah, if you have any issues, please let me know and um thank you for all that you 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 do you know um i've certainly spent some time time now on the site and listened to the pod so um it's been good just to kind of uh see you know the the light that you shine on 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 many of the different you know projects out there and people that um are busy on them so yeah it's thank it's you very much very great yeah Thank you very much. Well, um, yeah, as I say, I hope we meet soon and keep doing what you're doing. And uh, yeah, massive respect. We'll speak soon, I'm sure. Excellent. Cheers. Take care, Craig. Cheers, Max.